This episode is brought to you by Philly Gemstones. We had a real boom of natural pearls, if you like, because they were a byproduct of the button industry. So the button industry started, and then in with South Sea pearls mainly, and also black pearls, sort of black-lipped oysters, which come from the Tahiti and all that area. They were used as buttons, and so if you found a pearl, it was serendipity. It was like a fluke of nature, and the word serendipity comes from serendip, which was the old name for Sri Lanka, which had fantastic pearl beds. So have you put them on anybody recently? Only Kim when we were discussing the yeah. idea because of it was Chanel and all So an homage to yeah, Carl and it was I mm. was kind of spent hours and days looking at everything he'd ever done and Coco Chanel and that's where that kind of came from. Did she like pearls? Does she like them, Kim Kardashian? Yeah, she likes them. And she loved the look. It was it was Scaparelli in the end and Rosebury that designed the look. Welcome to With Jules Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture and investigate what's happening now. Today we're going to talk about the world's oldest gem, the pearl, the jewel of the sea, which has been treasured for centuries. The Greeks thought they were formed by the drops of water that fell from Aphrodite, the goddess of love, when she first stepped out of the water. Pliny, the Roman historian and scholar, got nearer the truth, believing they were formed when a raindrop fell into an oyster. They've never actually been out of style, from Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring to Elizabeth I's seven ropes of pearls falling to her knees, Elizabeth Taylor's La Pellegrina Pearl, or Captain Jack Sparrow and his Black Pearl, to the pearls on the cover of Vogue this month, provided by my guest Chrissy Coleman-Douglas of Coleman-Douglas Pearls, who is kind of the global expert. You've been selling pearls around the world since 1989. <laughs> so welcome, Chrissy. Thank you for thank coming you. to If Jules Could Talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honour and pleasure. I'm lovely to see you. I wanted Chrissy to join us this morning because the pearl world is complicated. Some pearls are found in the sea, others in freshwater lakes. They come in a myriad of shapes. Pears, beans, nubbly ones, mixes of colours from gold, peacock green and grey, and even pastel shades like mixed sherbets in peach, violet and powder blue, as well, of course, the shimmery white that we all know. And then there are bright pink flamingo colours from the waters of south of Florida. But that's not from an oyster. It's found in the queen conch sea snail. So we need Chrissy here to <laughs> unpack the world of pearls for us. <laughs> And then later on in the podcast, we're going to talk with the Vogue fashion editor, Jack Borkett, on how to wear them. So first, we're going to find out how to buy them. Okay. So, Chrissy, <laughs> um, first of all, just run us through the different types of pearls. Because originally, you know, pearls are organic, created from a living thing inside a mollusk under the surface of the sea. They come out luminous and beautiful. And originally, they were rare and grew in the wild. Absolutely. So originally... Pearls were the jewel. They were actually, they showed that you had power and wealth. If you see all the images of monarchs, look at Roman pictures. Men and women, women in particular, would wear pearls. Why? Because they were the ultimate symbol of power and wealth. It was meant to show, I am so wealthy, you don't even bother trying to conquer me. Hence the, Cleo, the famous Cleopatra pearl. They were the ultimate symbol of luxury because they were rare. Exactly. They were rare, but not only were they rare, they were beautiful from discovery. So all other stones, if you think about it, need to be cleaned, polished or something. A pearl is born as nature intended, which is why they were so rare. And even to quite recently, natural pearls per carat are the same price as diamonds good diamonds per carat. So that has remained. But they were very difficult to find as well and to retrieve because they were at the bottom of the ocean. 
So pearl divers had to go down and risk their lives to get them, didn't they? Indeed. In fact, well, recently, the whole natural pearl, you're talking about natural pearl. We're talking about that, but we'll come on to why we need to differentiate between natural and cultured later. Yeah, So okay. we're talking about the original only natural pearls available. Exactly. So the only natural pearls available were indeed, you had to go down to depths, particular depths and risk your life, as you say, absolutely. You also found natural pearls in rivers in Scotland, for example. Mm -hmm. That's why Julius Caesar wanted to invade Scotland because of its natural pearls. Didn't quite Mm -hmm. get there, but it does take a long time. You have 5,000 oysters to open in which you could find maybe three pearls. So there you find the rarity. It's like you had to harvest 5,000, bring them up from the depths to find even three pearls. And they were pearl diving from about AD... Oh, goodness. Well, uh, Cleopatra, long before... 4,000 years. 4,000 years, yeah. And in Japan, women were very successful pearl divers, weren't they? Very, yes. And And why was that? Why were women so good at it? I think their lung capacity... (laughs) Because they have to hold their breath for like two minutes? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Free dive down... Mm, Yeah. Holding your breath underwater. Exactly. Probably not being able to see very clearly because they didn't have goggles. No, (laughs) no goggles, no special super dupers. No, just absolutely. And just by feel. I suppose in, um, what is it that we women have? Instinct? I don't know. They would just find it. And in I think there's a couple still. But I mean, I think it died in the 1960s, really. And of course, they'd come across storms, sharks. Yeah. All yeah. kinds of things, yeah. although come yeah. up too quickly and get what we know as the, the bends. The bends, yeah. And actually in the Middle East, it was all men. There was no women because mm-hmm. um, obviously women weren't, weren't allowed to do that. And they would go pretty much bare. They would just have little sort of underpants, little loin, you know, little cotton underpants. That was it. You wanted as least weight on you as possible to get as far as possible. And how far down would they have to go, Chrissy? I think it depends on where the oyster is found. It can't be too deep. But I would have thought a good, anything between 10 metres and 30 metres, I'd say. That's quite a lot. So down for two minutes. But looking, looking, looking all the time. You don't, you don't mm. just go down and find it. No, no. <laughs> looking, coming back with something maybe. Yeah. Deep breath and back down again. Yeah, absolutely. All day. And apparently they lived quite long. It was good for them, surprisingly. Good for them, but dangerous <laughs> occupation. Very dangerous. Because yeah. I think in Australia, in Broome, they did a lot of pearl diving. Yes. And um, apparently there is a cemetery there filled with 900 tombstones oh. of divers who never made it back. No, who mm. met a shark or met the bends a stingray or, or the bends or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not... Quite the romantic pursuit that some <laughs> people thought. Um, the romance is in wearing them, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes. And of course, it was this very thirst to find pearls yeah. and for people to show their wealth and privilege to, mm. to have the pearl that really threatened its survival. Absolutely. So in the beginning of the 1890s, when the first diving suits came in, So, of course, people then went down with their diving suits to try and find as many pearls. You didn't have the constriction of your breath. And indeed, it was disaster for the natural pearl oysters because they were just being harvested and then they were dragging them. So all the babies, it wasn't then a selective harvesting. They were just dragging anything. So basically, oysters were harvested out. Yes, nearly, pretty much. Nearly extinct. Yeah. Um, because people were wanting to find these beautiful pearls, so they Absolutely. were just stripping the seabed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at one point, people were mm. having whole dresses covered in natural pearls. I mean, mm. untold of wealth, actually, mm. in today's money. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite ridiculous. I think it would put any of our famous, you know, high spenders to shame. And I guess people wanted the mother of pearl too from the actual shell, didn't they? Well, that is why we had a real boom of natural pearls, if you like, because they were a byproduct of the button industry. So the button industry started and then in with South Sea pearls mainly and also black pearls, sort of black-lipped oysters, which come from the Tahiti and all that area. They were used as buttons. And so if you found a pearl, it was serendipity. It was like a fluke of nature. And the word serendipity comes from serendip, which was the old name for Sri Lanka, which had fantastic pearl beds at the time. That's amazing. Because I read some statistic 
that um, from a haul of three tons of shells, only three or four oysters Absolutely. would produce a perfect pearl. Because that's the other thing. They want it round and <laughs> yeah. perfect, don't yeah. they? The perfect pearl is like, even the, the odds against it are so much higher. Hmm. Um, I would say almost any natural pearl, any shape is just beautiful and worth every penny. To give an example of how expensive and sought after natural pearls mm. are and were, yeah. <laughs> um, the Cartier building in New York was swapped for a, a two-strand natural pearl necklace. And it was her townhouse, the, this this wonderful, wealthy heiress. It was Morton Plant, wasn't it? Yes. And she just, you know, she just loved this two-strand natural mm. pearl necklace. And she swapped her, what is now the Cartier headquarters in Madison Avenue. Because they were both, at the time, both worth a million dollars. Yeah. So it was a kind of straight swap for the yeah. husband to... To please his wife, <laughs> Mrs. Plant, yes. landed up with the fabulous pearls. I wonder where they are now. Well, they did go on to auction, and mm-hmm. sadly they went to auction in the 1960s, which was probably the lowest point. They have now recovered completely back to the 1920s levels. But in the 1960s, when we all seemed to be into plastic and acrylic, mm-hmm. I don't know why, mm-hmm. they, um, they, lost they their plummeted. Value. And they were sold for $60,000. Do you think Mm. now they would be the same value as the real estate in Madison? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not as a Cartier, but maybe another Madison (laughs) Avenue house, possibly. (laughs) So in 1893, a system of culturing pearls was invented by Mikimoto. By Mikimoto. Actually, may I just pop that bubble or am I not allowed? You are allowed to pop any (laughs) We need your information, so tell us what we've got wrong. So, dear Mm. Mr. Mikimoto, well, he had a dream that every every woman could own a pearl, Mm -hmm. which is just the most awesome dream, and I really thank him for it. However, he was culturing the half-dome pearls, what we call Mabe pearls, Mm -hmm. uh, but he bought the rights of two other Japanese gentlemen, Mr. Mise and Mr. Nishikawa, who in 1907 found the way to culture a pearl, that is to encourage an oyster to produce a pearl. By placing an irritant inside the shell. Exactly, by placing an irritant, but the really... Because can you just tell everybody what yeah. happens when the irritant is placed in the shell? Exactly. So a natural pearl happens when an aggressor attacks the oyster. So that could be something that slices through its, its mantle, its flesh, and takes with it epithelial cells. Epithelial cells are key because they make nacre. The reason why oysters have nacre is to protect themselves. Otherwise, they're quite gelatinous. So nacre makes them hard and more difficult to crunch by predators. So the aggressor would slice through the mantle, taking with it epithelial cells, and then bury itself in the body. Then what does the oyster do? Because otherwise it'll die. It covers itself. The epithelial cells cover the aggressor in a pearl sac, So a little bit like a baby in a placenta. It just covers it and then deposits nacre onto the obstruction. Therefore, the obstruction becomes soft and is no longer a danger to the oyster. So what Meisei and Nishikawa found out was that if you were to operate a donor oyster, if you like, remove the epithelial cells, which are placed only in very certain parts of its body, and put them into an oyster with an obstruction, in this case a bead, the pearl sac will be formed with those epithelial cells and the nacre will be deposited on the bead. Does that make sense? It is terribly complicated. So it wouldn't be a grain of sand necessarily, it would be a bead, yes. Well, in the the sea, it would, I mean, oysters live in the sand, they they spit Mm -hmm. it out every second. But a piece of coral, which has got a jagged end, which actually hooks itself into its body, it can't, cannot expel it, or it will be a big piece of grit, something mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. literally aggressive to it, which would kill mm-hmm. it, and it can't get rid of it. That's when the epithelial cell sort of um, plaster, hap- you know, the, the whole thing happens. So this is what Mikimoto took this information mm-hmm. and perfected it. He bought their rights, he bought mm-hmm. their intellectual rights, and in his own lifetime, he changed the pearl world upside down. I mean, mm-hmm. an amazing achievement. So every woman could have a pearl. Not quite by the time he died, but 
With the advent of freshwater pearls, yes, now absolutely every woman can wear. And man. <laughs> You're quite right. Do you know why? You know, I think it goes to my age. Um, every one of us, every one of us can mm. wear a pearl. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And indeed, I have lots of fantastic male clients. And so basically every pearl now is pretty well cultured. I mean, natural pearls are impossible to find. And if you do find them, they are not within any of our price range. They are so expensive, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty expensive. They're, well, I mean, if you think what has gone into them, they're not at all, actually. But yes, they are much more expensive than the cultured pearl. About 10 times is the rough guide, unless it's an unusual pearl. But you can find little ones. Actually, it's in vintage jewellery that you often find them. And they are beautiful. The beautiful thing about natural pearls, it's all nacre. So however roughly they've been treated, you will always have a layer underneath which will still be beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, which is special. So, you know, you, you mm-hmm. can, you, you, I would never encourage anybody to be rough with their natural pearls, but you can buy them from an antique shop. And as long as they really are natural, then you're pretty okay. So they have more nacre than the cultured. Yes. They, they, because they, they're left for longer, I guess. Well, they're there for the whole of their lives. Yes. Um, yes. And it's layer upon layer. I once read from these wonderful uh, the Paspeli family that each tide brings two coatings of nacre, but they're tiny, tiny, microscopic. And so therefore it takes a long time, even for cultured pearls, it takes about two to three years to culture something. A um, natural pearl could be there for a hundred years. I mean, an oyster could live to, yeah, to a hundred years in, in, the, in, the, in the wild. And how long do they live in these pearl farms? Because in the pearl farms, obviously, they want to make sure that the pearls are as good and as juicy as they possibly could be. In a pearl farm, an oyster will typically live about seven to nine years, because then they're considered like what the Italians call pimpante, which is like really full of strength. And that is really for the oysters. For the mussels, however, they could live up to about 45 years because mussels can live hundreds of years in the wild. Okay, so that is the fresh water. Yes, so now shall I go into Now we're going to go from one type of mollusk to another. Exactly. So we've (laughs) talked about the culture that is pretty well the majority of pearls are now reared with this method. Yeah. And the smaller, nubbly, rice crispy type look is Chinese freshwater. Well, freshwater indeed, and they're all from China. You're absolutely spot on. Wherever in the world you might buy them, they are all from China. Really? Guaranteed. Because Scotland, you can't harvest them anymore because they're very rare, so they're illegal. (laughs) It's illegal. But if anybody was lucky enough to have found them before, they can still sell them. There are a few uh, shops that have a license to sell the natural Scottish pearls. But the freshwater cultured pearls all come from China. And they started with a man, a Japanese man called Masayo Fuzia, who, seeing that the oyster pearls were doing so well, he thought, well, let's do the same thing with mussel pearls. Why not? Except that he had a problem because most of the mussels died because of the operation. However, somebody either by accident or design did not put in the bead, the the obstruction. And they found that these little mussels produced a pearl. So, hey, presto, you have a fully nacre pearl in a mussel and knobbly, crispy, all kinds of irregular shapes. The mussels can create three generations. So you harvest one generation, pop it back in the water, and it makes another. Wow. And it's three strikes and you're out. They, what they do is they harvest the pearl, they tumble it to make it round, and then they reinsert it back into the mussel. So the mussel says, oh, yeah, this is my substance. Okay, I'll continue. So it keeps being round. Exactly. So that's how you find round freshwater pearls, which the Chinese call potato, which I cannot think of a worse name, sort of merchandising name for a pearl, a potato pearl. They call it potato. They do. They call it potato. Because actually it looks a wee bit like a new potato, but... I know, it's not great. So uh, for the untutored eye, would we be able to tell the difference between a Chinese freshwater round pearl and a cultured akoya? 
Because that is what they're called, aren't they from Japan? They're Correct, called Akoya. Akoya. They come from the Akoya oyster, mm-hmm. which is tiny, actually. So, yes, you could. What I would suggest is if you put them on a, on a white piece of paper and then as a strand, you just roll both. The fresh water will have a little bit more of a chalky, powdery luster, nacre, throwback to the eye. Whereas the oyster one will be slightly sharper. It's it's really weird. Um, I suppose I do it all the time, so it's I get practice, to see them. I know it is practice. <laughs> but the potato pearl, if I mean, they can be exquisite, excellent, and in which case they really will be round. But it's more rare. They will more likely look like a little new potato, actually, a cleverly disguised new potato. Okay. <laughs> so there is a way to tell. Mm. Then there are the South Sea pearls. Mm. Now the South Seas are the kind of king of the pearl, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. And the South Sea pearls are the beautiful white gobstopper pearls, which I adore. And they've got such fantastic overtones. So they come from northern Australia and the Philippines and Indonesia. You can also get some in Burma, although I don't sell those because of the human rights there. But white South Seas, it's almost like a rainbow of overtones. Because it's so perfectly white. The, The rainbow is shown in the perfect white. Yeah, exactly. And then you can get them also with wonderful pink overtones and gold overtones. And the gold ones have got like a rainbow of green to mame, whatever that is. It's like an orangey red. It's just extraordinary. And they come from the white-lipped oyster or the golden-lipped oyster and the Margaritifera Maxima, which tells you by this name that it's the biggest. And they have just the most amazing look. It's just alluring, um, is all I can say. They're cultured in the same manner as the Okoya. Absolutely. Very similar. There's a lot of cultures. The big culturing family is the Paspali family, whom I adore. I would marry them as a family if I had a chance. (laughs) I'm happily married, though. That's a good thing. Um, But they just they had they they literally look after their oysters so well. And, uh, and, and they this also is carefully. really in the mm. middle of nowhere, isn't it? It's yeah, literally yeah. by sea. You get to Darwin and by seaplane, it's like two hours yeah, to yeah, get yeah. to the Pearl Farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like far, far, far away. And it's 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 a quite a, um, a remote existence if you're a farmer there. But by golly, you get to see the most beautiful gems. So in a way, I, I wouldn't mind spending a year doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, except that I'm terrified of sharks. So That's the downside in those waters. Yeah, there's still sharks. There's still... Um, and I'll tell you a story later on when we get to the Tahitians about well, sharks. Well, I'd like to mm. talk about Tahitians yeah. now because Tahitians are the, the fabulous grey peacock green mm. that actually are called black. Yes, they? exactly. Black, even though they're not quite black. They're not quite black at all. Mm. They've got these fantastic peacock iridescences. Again, it's it's... Within the South Sea and the the Tahitian pearls, the ratio of finding perfect pearls is only 20 to 1,000 out of cultured pearls. So once you culture any oyster pearl, if you seed, if the the farmer seeds 1,000, 500 will eject the nucleus or die. And this is in a farm where they're being looked after really carefully. Then 20%, only 20% will be commercial, i.e. you'll find them. The other 300 will be rubbish and you don't want them anywhere near your Mm -hmm. neck or eyes or or anything. And then 200 will be sellable and only 50 will be the top. So Mm -hmm. you've got, you know, very low ratio. Tahitian pearls are those sultry colors. I love them because they're just so essential in a way. They have got the most amazing colours. They're fabulous on men, of course. They look just spectacular. It's that sort of sensuality of a dark colour with just every single colour in the rainbow. They became very fashionable, didn't they? What do you think, 20 years ago? Yeah. When Sean Lean was using them a lot because they, they were very good, weren't they, to sort of Give that idea of menace and mm-hmm. something a bit edgy Very. and different. Yeah, Alexander McQueen mm-hmm. and his collection. That was he so beautiful. Yeah. Yes, they were super fashionable. I say they'd never go out of fashion. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think pearls ever go out of fashion, to be honest, mm-hmm. because they are our best friend. They make us look good whenever we wear them, um, just by enhancing our beauty. When you glow, you glow because your pearl is glowing with you. And the eye of the beholder cannot tell the difference. So that's why I love about pearls. But yes, black pearls, Tahitian pearls can have that amazing, alluring look. 
And they're from the waters around Polynesia. Yes, absolutely, Polynesia. So what are the dangers in the Tahitian waters? So in the Tahitian waters, the dangers um, would, of course, be um, the bends, I think. Not so much the sharks, because what happens there is they have such a plethora of food that, frankly, they're not one to be interested in bony humans, because uh, we've got way too much bone, not enough flesh. Um, and when I went to the farm, when they were harvesting, they would bang two saucepans underwater. And then up came all these fins, which you can imagine, as I am terrified of sharks. This was <gasps> moment. But thankfully, I was on dry land. And they would all come and feast on the flesh of oysters. And, and, and so really, frankly, they don't really care about humans. They, they're really not interested. So all the delicacy that people wait to have amazing oysters to eat here the sharks are just fed as a byproduct oh yes they're just you know but you see actually Mm. to be honest the oysters that you would eat would not be pearl producing oysters pearl producing oysters put a lot of their energy into the nacre and the oyster the fleshy oysters that you eat they're a much smaller way smaller and they put their effort into the flesh and now to confuse us all a bit more mm. the conch and milo yes. the really yeah. fiery orange orange the pink conch, those are natural those are absolutely natural but they're not formed in the same way that a oyster pearl is formed because these are in sea snails exactly they're in sea snails they're not in oysters and the mellow has got this beautiful orangey red fire. And how you can tell a mellow pearl is when you look at its granularity, if you, if you wish, it's got that flame. It has a flame hallmark. And the conch pearls are this beautiful powdery pink from white to powdery to peachy pink. And those are entire. You couldn't culture those if you wanted no. to. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. And and mm. they're very difficult to find, actually. And how would you retrieve it from a conch? People would dive. Again, this is natural pearl mm. diving, going down to the depths, find a conch, bring it up, and it may or it may not have a, a pearl. Mm. And quite often you'll find um, shells on the beach with a hole broken into the... with swivels tight. Mm-hmm. You'll find them there, and then that's where the pearl would have been. So right. you'll find them on the beach, just discarded, and they look beautiful and they're great on your mantelpiece or whatever. But someone's taken but the But somebody's pearl. already taken the pearl, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or has looked for a pearl and possibly not. Quite yeah. pri- well, probably mostly, not found it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mostly you're not allowed to take those shells anyway now from any island. Oh, are you not? No. Okay, right. I think they're quite protected. Yeah, well, that's good. Now, the other thing about the pearl that's unusual is it has its own language of description. Mm. They're measured in grains, aren't they? Which is something quite different than other gems. Natural pearls are measured in grains or in carrots. So not cultured? No, in millimetres. Cultured are always millimetres. Well, that's interesting. I didn't mm. know that. Mm. And so the grains can be a carrot. The, exactly. So the grain is a, is a weight that has been there since the Middle Ages, I think. One grain is about a quarter of a carrot. There you go. And millimetres for culture Cultured, pearls. yeah. And so a South Sea would be how many millimetres, for instance? South Sea, the tiniest South Sea can be eight millimetres, but that's really tiny. And the big gobstoppers? Oof, 20 plus. Wow. So but those are want. unusual. That's the one we want to bring. Is it? <laughs> Do you know, I don't know. I think they will look fantastic on you because you've got the height and the build. But, you know, a tiny person, if you put a massive gobstoppers on her, she's mm. just going to be drowned. So <laughs> another kind of secret language of the pearl is the length of a, a pearl necklace. Yeah. So that, again, we have what? Princess, matinee, opera. Rope. And rope. Um, so what are the lengths of those different ones? Oh, gosh, now you really are putting me up for it. Um, so <laughs> well, there's roughly, the, the necklace. There's, there's, well, there's a normal necklace. There's a standard length. Mm-hmm. Then there's obviously a choker. Mm-hmm. And there's a necklet. Then there's a standard length. Then there's an 18-inch length. Then there's the, um, I think it's the opera. So matinee is just above the chest bone. Yeah, exactly. So opera it's just, just below. Yeah, and princess is higher. Just, princess yes. is right round, you know. It, the nape it, it of the neck. Exactly. Nape it covers where the two bones meet. I think of Audrey Hepburn, and that's your princess cup. Yes. Which is very high. The classic single strand that yeah. used to be kind of like a rite of passage for yeah. a young girl. Yeah. That she'd reach 18, 16, she'd be given a little, her first strand of pearls. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which doesn't really happen now. Well, do you it? know, it still does. But the girl is that there's such a variety of pearls they're now going for tahitian pearls which come in any color from 
black to pink to green to blue to white with gray overtones, always gray overtones. And I tend to say, look, go with your eyes. Whatever your eyes will ch will pretty much remain the same for the rest of your life. They might, if we've got green or blue eyes, we might go slightly paler. So you can have Tahitian, you get Akoyas. It was usually the Akoyas which were the rite of passage, but now mm -hmm. girls are going for South Seas and Tahitian and mm -hmm. um, fresh water. What would you know? Whatever and whatever makes you happy and whatever makes you look good. That's what's going to make you look good forever. And the right coloring for your coloring. Absolutely, that's essential. Because the pearls will always make you look good. Now, what about fakes? Fakes mm. have been made for centuries in different ways, haven't they? It's sort of ground glass, isn't it? Well, that was originally what it was. Good ones, ground glass covered in mother of pearl. Well. Um, and what are they made of now? Elizabeth I mm -hmm. had fake pearls. Did she? On her dress. And they were costing one penny a piece, which at her time was quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And they were glass beads, absolutely, but filled with wax. So when you see her dress... It's all glass beads, really. Then a Mr. Jacquin in 1758, I think, he saw his housekeeper cleaning a fish and saw the fish slime coming to the surface. And he thought, oh, that's pretty. Let's just concentrate that. So it's basically it's fish slime, <laughs> concentrated, very sexy. And then they would put mother of pearl beads. Actually, they would go to America and get these wonderful mother of pearl beads and then dip them. There is a very well-known brand, uh, which it makes a big thing about dipping them seven times into fish slime. And then they come out with this pearl essence. I mean, to be honest, if you put a cultured pearl or a natural pearl next door to it, you can really tell the difference. So that's the best quality artificials are exactly, you know, ground, whatever, and or else plastic or fish slime. Um, the cheaper ones are plastic beads, and acrylic paint. So it's kind of like really cheap. No, mm -hmm. but no intrinsic value at all. And presumably they'll chip. They do. They do. They chip quite quickly, mm -hmm. like nail polish chips. And, uh, you know, they have zero value. Um, and what I'd say, if you want to tell them apart, uh, because an artificial pearl, a fake pearl, is paint or paint literally on a bead, it's completely smooth. So when you rub one pearl against the other, it's totally smooth. Whereas a cultured pearl, it'll feel gritty. And what you're picking up is because the layers of nacre are never just, never lock in perfectly. They actually straddle. So you're actually picking up that minute difference in, in surface, which is what some people say to me. Oh, to tell a pearl, I just put them against my teeth. And I would really counsel against that because A... You don't know whose yes. teeth have been there before yours. People do that, <laughs> don't they? They just oh. rub it to feel if there's a little grit and grain against the teeth. Yeah, but you can feel it just as well, one pearl against the other. Oh, or that's good. Even that's your good nail tip. against the pearl. Mm -hmm. But the teeth, you never know whose mm -hmm. teeth have Plus been there before. Plus you can't really do that in a shop, can you? No. Could I just have chomp on Could your I just pearls? chomp on your pearls? Can I just have an hors d'oeuvre here? <laughs> the, your teeth are the same substance as a pearl, but they're stronger protein. So actually, if you have a cultured pearl or a natural pearl, you're actually scratching the pearl. Right. So I, it's, 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 uh, it's not good. So yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. The other thing that we're all told is that pearls have to be worn. Yes. Because they need the oil from your skin. They do. They do. They're not alive, but they need the oils to keep them moist. Try not to do it when you're doing aerobic exercises, etc. When you're at, when your sweat will be quite acid. But if you're wearing them, especially at night, because apparently our oils are really juicy at night. So wear your pearls because you will be keeping them moist. If you think how dry your hands feel after you wash them, it's exactly the same. And they'll go yellow. The other thing that they do as as they dry out, they go yellow. And they never go back to white? They never, ever will go back. Okay. Yeah, you can take a layer off. You can take more layers off until you get a, a more juicy layer, but they'll never really recover. So, okay. no, not a good idea. And no. I wanted to ask you, due to climate change, and the fact is we over-farmed natural pearls to yeah. such an extent, yeah. 
Mr. Mickey Major came along and saved the day. Is there a chance that we are going to destroy oyster farms now with climate change? Because I did write years ago, actually, for the FT, that oysters were literally suffocating because the seas were so bad and the pollution was literally choking them and they couldn't breathe. Yeah. In fact, pearl farmers are one of the most active environmentalists around Paspalis, to name, you know, one of them, because their livelihood is dependent upon it. I spoke to a wonderful Indonesian farmer and he had a couple of scientists and the scientists said, you know, we're gently making our seas into Coca-Cola. I mean, it is incredible the amount of pollution that's in there. So yes, the freshwater and seawater pearls, they will all die. I suspect the last one to die off will be the Tahitians because they are in good seas, cleaner water. Although the French did do quite a lot of atomic explosions down there, didn't they? So again, not great for the environment. And probably the Australians, probably those will be the ones that will last for longer. But we do need to clean up our act. Otherwise, we're all doomed to be swimming in Coca-Cola, which I don't think is a great thing. So how long do Pasapalli think they have to try and clean the oceans before the last pearls will disappear? Do you know, that's a really good question. And I, 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 I haven't asked them that. And mm. I don't I don't know. I just I hope mm. that we get our act together and we start cleaning up. Cleaning up, otherwise Fast. we lose our pearls. We lose our pearls. That's a pearl of wisdom for us. You've left <laughs> us with a pearl of wisdom to think about. So, Chrissy, thank you very oh, much so for welcome. all your knowledge, sharing your knowledge with us. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. It was lovely, lovely to be here. So having talked about um, the issues of buying pearls and how to do that, I'm sitting here with Jack Borkett, who is a stylist of many fashion shows, contributing editor at British Vogue, colleague who I've worked with on shoots before. And um, Jack, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure, Carol. Thank you for having me. And so we used to sit in the Vogue office and look at some jewellery together, didn't we? We did. I don't know if we specifically shot pearls together ever. No, I don't think we did. I think we did some pretty hefty, expensive things, but never pearls. (laughs) Pearls is quite specific, I think. It's quite specific. And do you think it's because it's really having a moment now, the pearl? For me, I I kind of think they've just become popular. Instantly, I would go to Harry Styles and the kind of men wearing pearls is really kind of where I've seen it bring, you know, becoming modern. And, and it's included in other jewellers' collections and stuff like that. But, you know, a man wearing a pearls necklace is strange, I think, up until this point. You know, if you know, because for me growing up, it's like pearl necklaces. It's, you know, it's all my aunties. Yeah. You, you know, it has that connotation for me of a certain kind of woman that would wear a pearl necklace, which is quite proper. It's like the country life that... You know, people who are listening who aren't in England might not know. There's this absolute classic magazine that's been published forever called Country Life. Yeah. And they always have a frontispiece of a posh English girl that's called The Girl in Pearls. Girls in Pearls. And that's what we think of, don't we? Yeah, it's a specific kind of character. And, you know, I can almost imagine the look as well. Even in Paris, where I live now, you know, it's like a little necklace of pearls. It's very bourgeois, I always think. And you're right, men are wearing them better than women. Yeah. I don't know how if it will lot, you know, because it's become such a thing that I think it will kind of move maybe quite quickly away from that. You know, when it if it starts becoming too high street or... I mean, do you think Timothy Chalamet on the cover of British Vogue wearing pearls encouraged a lot of other guys to get out pearl necklaces? Yeah, but then it's going to kill it quickly, I think. For me now, I couldn't wear a pearl necklace because it would just look like I was, you know, trying to copy that. For me, I always find jewellery as something that's kind of passed down. And I don't think there's anything particularly in my family, not especially on the men's side, that would be pearly. Or the, I did have one thing I remember my christening present was like a, something that a baby sucks and it's like, you know, it's, it was made of pearl. Oh, what, like a dummy? Yeah, 
It was like this kind of ornamental kind of jewelry thing, and the baby for the mouth, and it was pearls, and the oh and the thing God. that you put in your mouth, and my mouth was pearl. That's so. But I've never seen that. Ever. Yeah, that's amazing. It's at home. I'll send a picture. Well, you were a very posh baby. Oh, I know. I was in a you know in in, in a gown with a train and a pearl dummy. You know, needless <laughs> you were, to say, you know, where you... I ended up. Yeah, you had to be a fashion stylist yeah, after that. Yeah, you There's knew. No, no choice to be anything else. All the other babies are in their pampers, and then I strutted in <laughs> in my in, in my lace gown and pearl dummy. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, but Mark Jacobs has always worn them, hasn't he? Yeah, he's done something actually. I think because um, Mikimoto have got their hundred and thirtieth anniversary, and he said my favourite piece of jewellery is a single strand of pearls that I wear not only for good luck but to glamorise all my looks. Yeah, that's interesting. He wears them for good luck. Maybe it's because he had good luck when he first wore them. Yeah, because they're always associated with bad luck. I think and and kind of sadness. I think my grandmother wore them to my grandfather's funeral and she said pearls represent tears, I think. Yeah, that's right, actually. They do. There's a kind of uh, maybe a sadness in the way that they're, like, procured. I don't know if people maybe think that that's kind of cruel. Well, because of the diving and um, pearls running out. They literally ran out. But do you think also it's because they look modest? So at a funeral, they would look right because they are luxurious but they're modest yeah they're not like evening really are like it it's quite day and they're kind of soft and then yeah they're not bling are they in any way so no. they're kind of subtle and... i mean diana vreeland used to say nothing gives the luxury of pearls but they're not sexy no they're so... not sexy but it was funny actually i was working with kim kardashian and it was the met and I was kind of speaking with her all in that process about Carl and pearls. And she ended up wearing a whole dress that was pearl, you know, layers of pearls that were kind of connected. And there's something beautiful about it. And I, I think for me, I remember always feeling that they were warm somehow. Like feeling them and having them on you. They, they kind of retain our heat. They react to the skin, don't they? They need the skin. But so, I mean, when you're styling people, I mean, either on shoots or working with Kim Kardashian, how would you tell a woman to wear pearls now, to look modern? I think it would just be a balance between the outfit and the jewellery or, you know, the earring and the kind of the way that you would wear it. You know, if you were to put on a Chanel suit and a pearl necklace and pearl earrings, you're going to look old. But if you're going to put on, you know, like a, a ripped T-shirt and a pair of baggy jeans and you're going to have pearl earrings, it's going to, you know, and your hair's kind of... I always see it in the street, you know, a girl out of the shower and she's kind of... The hair's in like a wet bun and she's got, you know, pearl earrings and jeans on. It's kind of cool then. So you've got to have that juxtaposition. I think so. I think there needs to be that kind of laissez-faire kind of attitude with it. Maybe that's why I don't wear pearl necklaces, because I'm quite classic dresser, aren't I? Yeah. So if I wore pearl necklaces, I would look it's too ageing then. Yeah. Do you think? I, I, I think so. I think jewellery can become quite... Not ageing, but... Yeah, ageing's not like the word. It's just not surprising. But there's interesting things that people do with pearls that are modern, like Simone Rocha always mm -hmm. has pearls and includes them in jewellery and includes them in accessories. Even, you know, sometimes she had, I'm sure, a bag that was like a giant pearl or a giant kind of crustacean. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels really modern. Well, Alba Elbaz at Longvan was the one who really started making them less stuffy. Yeah, and they were kind of quite big as well. Because he used to mix them on kind of ribbons and, you know, they were sort of like tied in between and different colours colours and he suddenly made the pearl look like something quite modern and not stuffy. Well he would do like kind of three dark pearls or and then white and then on a plaque with like a thick black ribbon and it was kind of modern different because I don't know before that really it was just that one chain link of pearls is what we think I think or a kind of little stud but I was also when I was in Korea they have lots of pearls there and there's they're, they're very superstitious mm -hmm. how if you're a certain kind of star sign you must never wear pearls and oh really so what star sign astrology says that people whose zodiac signs are Mercury Venus Saturn and Rahu should never wear pearls 
So that means Taurus, Gemini, Virgo, Capricorn and Aquarius should not wear pearls. Oh my God, that's me. And funnily enough, I don't wear them very often. I really don't. Do I you like have any? I do have some, yeah. I do have, and I've got some which are kind of quite cool. I got made, um, I had quite a sort of classic white pearl necklace and I got it remade by Julia Mugenberg to have sort of oxidised chain in between, so it just looked a bit cooler. Yeah. But I still don't wear them very often. Quite interesting. Yeah. So now I know why. It's my instinct. Yeah, it's a rejection internally <laughs> for the feng shui. I've rejected the oyster. Yeah. Um, I don't eat them either, to be quite oh, honest Oh, really? Oh, no. I, love it. I, I love anything to do with the sea. But then I'm a Pisces, so maybe that's why I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a baby fish. Have you put them on the cover of Vogue? I don't think I have, no. Because Miriam Margulies has got them on this month, hasn't she? Oh, and I love her. Oh. So when you work with them, do you mind where they come from? Or do you just want a particular look? Or do you say, oh, I want that necklace from Cartier or Tiffany? Or do you say, no, 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 just get me a big black pearl necklace? What yeah, do you, do it would you... just be like I would need a pearl necklace. It wouldn't particularly be the brand. There's certainly a softness, I think, in them. And like a calmness. It, it, it kind of projects that kind of feeling, I think. So have you put them on anybody recently? Only Kim when we were discussing yeah. the idea because of it was Chanel. and of, So an homage to Yeah, Carl. Carl and it was, I was mm. kind of spent hours and days looking at everything he'd ever done and Coco Chanel and that's where that kind of came from. Did she like pearls? Does she like them, Kim Kardashian? Yeah, she likes them. And she loved mm. the look. It was, it was Scaparelli in the end and Rosebery that designed the look and there was a bag that we got that was great that was an old Chanel bag that was like a kind of not a pearl but like a shell or like a conch kind of thing that was like pearlescent which was nice so if a man and a woman came to you and said I'm going out to buy pearls how should I look Jack would you tell them to buy different things what would you advise them to get I want it to be just simple I think and like classic and not too kind of overly designed I normally don't like. Do French women wear pearls better than other nationalities? For me, I think it's very English, but I don't know, that was just the way I was brought up. You think of the Queen, don't you, really, in her strands of pearls? I think of the Queen, I think of like my Auntie Sarah always wore pearls and she was such a particular type of person. She was so English and, you know, they lived in like Norfolk and it was when she was like 20, she was acting like she was like 60. <laughs> and she married a vicar. Uh, she, you know, she was like a vicar's wife. You're really putting people off buying pearls really right now. Really, am, am I? Am I like, it, suddenly it's like dropped in the, in the market. No, but that's just, that's what it was, you know, to me. And I like that though, because it's kind of comforting. I love all of that kind of nostalgia. Well, I do worry, you know, now the Queen's gone. I think that look of sort of tweed skirts, cashmere, twin sets and pearls. And my mother-in-law used to dress like that. And I think, well, who will dress like that anymore? You know, that kind of look's going to go. Yeah, no, it's gone. But I, I worry that the, it's just going to go to a degree that everyone's just going to, you know, end up in a tracksuit, which I hope doesn't mm. happen. But I love it when I come to Paris and I see all the women that are like, you know, done up. You know, I think mm. it's lovely. And I was in the south of France recently and visiting my parents and we went to a restaurant and there was all the women in there wearing pearls with a coiffed hair. You know, there's that image, isn't there, of that. But now it's changed because every everywhere I go, there's people wearing pearl chokers and... Vivian Westwood. It was very 80s, you know, Princess Diana used to wear pearl chokers. All that sort of choker look was quite 80s. Yeah, and I quite it's like, coming back. Yeah, and I quite like a big pearl, like it's like too much on the ear and it's like kind of like an oval pearl, but it probably isn't pearl, but it's inlaid in kind of like a gold rectangle. It's quite 80s. I like all things like that, a bit Saint Laurent. And sort of Baroque, different shapes. Yeah, and a bit wobbly, you know, it's a bit mm. thumbed. 
And so basically, if they have a classic strand, you can't wear a classic strand and classic clothes. You've got to mix it up. Yeah, no, I don't think so. It's like cool, like day and night kind of. It's nice when a boy or a girl would wear it, you know, with like a T-shirt and jeans or you could wear it with a suit, I suppose. But men can get away with it more easily because it's more surprising initially for them. Yeah. And nowadays with like kind of pop stars and even my ex partner bought a beautiful pearl necklace actually with John and Alexi in London in an antique market I think in Burlington Arcade and it was kind of a really fine it was beautiful actually it was like a degradation of pearls from like small to large and in the circumference of all of the pearls there was a an inlaid sapphire and it was really nice, but it kept breaking. An old one. Yeah, an old one. So you need to have it really strong. Yeah, and then you wake up in the bed and you've got you're like you've got pearls everywhere, which is It's very Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, which is quite fabulous. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with John well, with John Galliano. Yeah. Because uh, John, John loves pearls. them. Yeah. Yeah, he likes that whole pirate. He used to love that pirate look, the pearl drop. No, he loves yeah. all of that. Anything that's kind of with a story or a kind of... Because I think pearls really have a kind of um, superstition. You know, anything that has that kind of history attached that's kind of a bit spooky or a bit kind of ghosty, John would always love. And I suppose they've been used through history, you know, Queen Elizabeth I or pirates or... So, you know, you can attach all those... Those historical references. Yeah, and anything to do with the sea is always interesting, I think. Like, for me, I love the sea, and I love anything to do with the sea, and the deep sea, and mermaids, and all of that. Well, they're of... very on trend yeah. right now, mermaids, aren't mermaids they? Mermaids are huge. Like, everything is mermaid-themed, and shells, and all of this, is, I suppose. But you're resisting the pearl necklace. I'm not going to wear a pearl necklace, no. Because you think that thing I just feel like it's, like, done now for me just it's like not my thing so what what will be the next thing in jewelry do you do you anticipate god i don't know i think it's gone everything has gone very elegant in fashion you you, mm. you know and i think men want to feel very much more elegant you know there was the whole feeling that everyone was you know in a balenciaga tracksuit and it was all a bit you know boring and now i think men want to feel like elevated like a, you know what can we do like a woman would do you know even when i go out for dinner and stuff i think oh it's you know, I'd love to put on something where I felt like I was, like, wowing people. But, like, how do you do that? And I wouldn't wear anything sparkly. But I like garnet and I like... I kind of like semi-precious stones. I like kind of things that are, like, marble or, you know, that have that feeling. So people dressing up again. Yeah. I suppose there's that whole, that succession thing, that quiet, understated luxury happening, do you think? And timelessness and kind of having something that's quite kind of simple and then you can dress it up with jewellery you know it's my friend came around the other day that's a model and she just wore it's very Chanel but like all cream like a cream pant cream silk shirt with pearl necklace and she's you know she's a 20 year old Dutch model that was wearing pearls and she looked really and, cool and not jeans so that's not good not jeans yeah so there's life in the pearl yet yeah I think so Jack thank you thank you for telling us that and giving us some pearly tips of how yeah. to wear them no my pleasure thank you thank you thank you for listening for this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwilton.com slash podcasts. Do subscribe to the podcast feed, share it any way you can, and we love a rating and a comment. And actually, we're going to ask a special favour this season because we're in line to win an award from the British Podcast Awards. And I'm going to put a link on the Instagram and the website. And if you have a second please vote for us because there is a listener's award and we would love a vote for that. For any more information on our sponsor, they're at fooliegemstones.com. And please join me again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget. We're going to be talking with the legendary British architect, John Pawson, about the synergy between architecture and jewels. So please join us then. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. 
If Jules Could Talk with Carol Woolton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labanda, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol Woolton. Thank you.